950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. So, Racket Minnesota had a heck of an, ar- an article here on something, you know how much I love history, and I love talking about history. Uh, this one was one that I really enjoyed quite a bit. The Ghost Towns of Hennepin County. Uh, the author of that and the runner of the Minnesota Historian website is Josh Biber. He's kind enough to join us today to talk about this article as well as his website as well and his love of history. Josh, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Thank you. Happy to be here. And it, it, it is Biber? Yep, that's correct. Yep. Most people Beautiful. Biber, but you're, you're right on it. <laughs> it's, uh, Josh, first of all, uh, congratulations on the website here. You've got, and I want to encourage people that go to this, minnesotahistory.org. You really do some very well-researched, very informative uh, articles here that talk about lost elements of Minnesota history. I, I, I want to congratulate this because this has been a relatively new venture for you, correct? Yeah, just within the last year, kind of during the pandemic is when it, when it kicked off for me. What prompted you to do it? You know, it was just kind of a, a turning a small side passion into a major hobby of mine. I mean, I, I would regardless be spending time reading hist- history magazines, nonfiction books about the state, um, you know, going on the um, Minnesota Digital Library and things of that ilk. Um, however, you know, during the pandemic last year, I thought, you know, I'm doing all this research anyways. Why don't I just start writing about it, putting it out there, and see if it gains traction, see if other people find it interesting too. And it, it seems like you have. I mean, as a matter of fact, I will actually say um, I found some of your articles just absolutely riveting in in that you don't realize what it used to be like here uh, in, in some cases without really a, a great sense of of the history that you're able to uncover. So I give you a lot of credit on that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the let's the article that you want to get to here is ghost towns of, 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 of Hennepin County. I, I want to say this because there used to be a lot of towns that used to show up on maps here that are not here anymore, but you start in very clearly talking about, there really are kind of three categories of what became ghost towns. Uh, talk a little bit about that because, you know, it just it was the way as the community grew from river towns to rail towns to prospecting that these towns generally, for, for whatever reason, disappeared. Yeah, and that's right. And, and most people think when they think ghost town, they are thinking, you know, the gold rush and mining and things like that. In, at least in Hennepin County, we don't really have those types of ghost towns. What we have are going to be first would be river towns or these small trading posts. And these were the towns that would pop up along the Minnesota River, the Mississippi River, as well as the Crow River on the western border of Hennepin County, where there was either um, enough river traffic to support hotels, to support trading posts, or if there was enough of a current to support some sort of milling or lumbering operation. And so we saw those towns kind of come and go very early on in the state's history. And and we're talking the 1850s, uh, very early 1860s. And then second up would be rail towns. And those would be towns 
that are developed is a railroad stop, um, usually in the 1860s or so, once um, James J. Hill's um, railroad company started to move westward. And those towns, I mean, some of them still exist today. We see them in the likes of Hamel, Maple Plain, uh, things along those lines. But a majority of those towns, um, you know, they, they came and went in the first century of the 1800s into the early 1900s. And then the very last type of towns that we are going to be seeing would be paper towns. Um, these are going to be towns that real estate investors created. Um, you know, they might put that advertisement out in an early newspaper offering some sort of promise of earth that's good for tilling um, or vast forests that are, uh, pro- you know, prime for lumbering. And whether that was truthful or not, uh, you know, that's kind of up for debate. But more often than not, uh, what we saw is that people would come to these towns and realize there's really nothing there in the way of development. And then those um, those new settlers had to bear the losses, which frequently resulted with paper towns. The interesting element, I, I mean, obviously, I think, you know, the, the paper towns were pure speculation. The river towns just basically, once we started getting, the, the European settlers started getting more established, they kind of moved, were able to move or more inland, especially where the good farming land was. But it's the rail towns I find to be interesting because how many times have I gone back in history and found the, the rejoicing, the pure jubilation, that the train is coming into our town. We're going to have a train line here, build the train station, everyone's happy. But I, it kind of came down to, and I think this is a fair assessment, if there wasn't the, the, in the other infrastructure that came in afterwards, roads and other businesses, that's what generally seemed to doom the train towns that went away, is that they basically hung their hat on the train itself, and once that train was gone, there just was no other reason for anyone to be there. Yeah, and that's, that really is the case, um, is, is primarily that, as well as how close are towns together. Um, you know, we would see out in Long Lake area, um, there was a train town that came up called Armstrong, and it was smack dab between Maple Plain and Long Lake. And if you know that area, those two towns are really only about two miles apart. And there just wasn't the need for a third town between the two of them. And so proximity was another big factor in whether a town could exist and thrive or otherwise fold within its first decade or two. You talk about, let's go back to the first group, uh, the river towns. Uh, one of the things that you, I like with your article is you've got it maps here. All along the Mississippi River coming up through Minneapolis, there was at times, there seems to be towns that were there on the river uh, you know, talk a little bit about them and, and how many of those towns, if you were to go on out there, is there anything left of them at all? Sure. So, I mean, speaking strictly in Minneapolis, there's two towns that come to mind. One is called Fall City. It's about a mile and a half or so southeast of the downtown core. And there's really going to be nothing left in that area from the original settlement and development of Fall City from the late 1850s. Um, that one was more of a paper town, if you will. However, slightly to the north of that, um, over on the University of Minnesota's East Bank, was Cheeberstown. Um, some people may know that also St. Anthony City, which is different than the city of St. Anthony, you know, to make matters more confusing. <laughs> However, there was an article in the Star Tribune newspaper from 
I want to say it was 1930s or so. So we're still talking about, you know, nearly 90 years ago where they had some archaeologists try to uncover um, this Cheeverstown, this, this old city that has since been built over and turned into the University of Minnesota. And at that time, they were able to find some scant remnants of that town. However, mm-hmm. over the course of the last 90 years and the further developments of the East Bank and the, of the University of Minnesota campus, all that's left is, is long gone or otherwise buried underneath other buildings and things like that. Um, further to the north of Minneapolis, there were three uh, river towns that are now in what would be Brooklyn Park and Brooklyn Center. And there's some very small remnants left, um, things like homesteads or a post office that was maybe built in the late 1880s, early 1890s. And that's really all that's left of those towns. How big was on, on the southeast shore of Bademacoska? There used to be a little bit more of a town, it looks like. Um, and, and I've seen, you know, there's obviously a lot of historical markers that are over there. But how thriving was that town? I thought it was just a handful of buildings. Was it more than that at that po- at any point? Sure. And sources vary. Um, and, and those sources kind of measure that that town that was on the eastern shore of Bademacoska, uh, Rayatau Conway, or Edenville, as it was anglicized, was anywhere between 125 to 150 individuals. And it, you know, that, that number kind of waxes and wanes because the town more or less existed for about 10 years before it eventually moved to the south, or I should say the people moved to the south. Um, but there's not really much in the way of remnants of that town. I mean, mm-hmm. the majority of that area has been taken over by Lakewood Cemetery, uh, the mm-hmm. Bidet Mikoska walking path and things like that. The we should also mention there are some people because I, I think some people would look at what used to be the streets below Washington Avenue. You talk about the University of Minnesota. There used to be full neighborhoods down there right on the riverfront. Eventually, we moved all those people out of there because they kept getting flooded every year, as well as also, as you and as I brought up a little bit earlier there, there was a town, uh, Minnetonka Mills existed way early, uh, you know, up on Minnehaha Creek. They were, and they were, they had carpentry, they had mm-hmm. furniture makers, they had this, and then just one day it disappeared. But the, still, the city of Minnetonka still exists. I mean, so there are cases where, to a point, it's it's tricky to kind of talk about this in the sense of being a ghost town because on one side, yeah, full neighborhoods might have disappeared because we moved everyone out, but that was because of, you know, not you know health concerns, flooding concerns, natural disaster concerns, or there were towns that were there where if you go to Minnetonka Mills, a good portion of that is still there. The Burwell House, some other buildings are there. But it is, it's basically just, it, at one point it was a town, and then just one day, pretty much by, what, two years later, it was like everyone had left, and pretty much Hopkins became kind of the, that western town. So there are cases like that, but it's not as cut and dry as a full-fledged town that just doesn't exist anymore. Right, that, that's correct, is, is that there really isn't too much in the way of, like, a full town that came and went for whatever reason and no longer exists. And all that might be left is some foundations rotting under the snow. Um, Minnesota's history, frankly, it's just, it's not long enough for us to have entire townships come and go like that. But you are right about Minnetonka Mills. I mean, it was its own town at one point. 
a self-sustaining community that later was enveloped by the city of Minnetonka itself. And Edina has one of those, too, in, in, yeah. in the form of Morningside, um, what was once its own separate town that wanted some city-like amenities, such as sidewalks, back in the early 1900s, when the rest of Edina was rural. Um, Morningside later decided to join up with Edina in the 1950s or 1960s because the rest of Edina had kind of transformed into a suburban type of neighborhood that Morningside better um, saw itself fitting in with at that point. Around Lake Minnetonka, and I got—I don't think this is really a surprise at all, you did find quite a few you know, towns that used to exist out there that are long gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in, you know, just for the length of the article, I, I believe I only included three or maybe four of those ghost towns. However, there were many, many more towns around that Lake Minnetonka region that could be considered a ghost town. The, the thing which is hard is that I, I imagine maybe even up to the 1980s, you probably could have gone into some of those areas and found them. But a lot of them at this point, considering the, the, the value of the land and how it's, you know, the, the, the rise of the McMansion, I imagine most of those towns, it would really be difficult to find anything that would give you a hint of the town that used to be out on some of those peninsulas and isthmus that are out on Lake Minnetonka. Yeah, and that, I mean, it, that is a great thing to mention is, you know, what was once maybe, you know, able to be detected in the form of a ghost town 20, 30, 40 years ago um, has since been much more difficult because you know, of concerns about trespassing, as well as just the further development of the western, um, the western metro region around Lake Minnetonka. Um, most of the history of those towns have been lost and Roads have been paved over the towns altogether. The and and uh, there are a few. I mean, I have gone through a few of the neighborhoods, and I'll see a facade of a building that doesn't really fit anything else there. That looks like it's like that looks like a mercantile from the eighteen seventies, and it's probably an old building from the time that someone had basically taken. But it really is, and we should be careful here. As much as I enjoy talking about this. Uh, we don't want to encourage you, you, these are private properties. You don't want to necessarily go out there and try to, you know, go try to hunt these things down because, you know, as the city has grown, this is kind of how things work. I mean, some cities live, some cities die, but the reality is, as Minneapolis St. Paul has grown, really, uh, this is why your article is so important because it preserves the message there that, that th- these towns actually did exist. Right, right. And, and another thing, too, is it's, is it's just that. Over time, these things get these things do get lost, you know, and that's a sense of a ghost town in and of itself is a town that once existed that very few people remember or can recount or even recover in books and in history pieces. Uh, that is a complete guide to the ghost towns of Hennepin County. I'll put the link up to the Minnesota history Minnesota historian piece. I also just really briefly the Lake Harriet toboggan slide. That's your latest piece you put out there. How in the world is this not still a thing? Holy God, that looks like it's so much fun. It was this huge sled hill that went all the way out into the lake, right? Yeah, yeah. It was, I I forget exactly how long, some 500 feet long, a couple hundred feet tall. They layered it up with ice and just sent kids flying down onto the lake. I mean, it looks like crashed ice. I mean, it's like almost looks like a crashed ice 
sort of you know thing that they used to do here, and it looks like a blast. I mean, it's it really does look like a lot of fun. I mean, that was that was only there for what one year, two years. Yeah, it was there for two years. So the first winter, it was I mean, what you could call a small slide. It was still hundreds of feet long. Um, but then the second year, after you know a ton of popularity with the children in the southwest Minneapolis area. Uh, the park board decided to make a bigger, better slide, if you will, um, made it taller and made it longer. And with those two things, it also became much more dangerous. So there are many injuries that second winter on the, <laughs> you know, enhanced larger slide. And that was it. That was it. <laughs> oh, the way we used to raise kids. <laughs> uh, all right. I got to make sure I link to the Lake Harriet Toboggan slide as well. Absolutely excellent work. Uh, I Once again, if you like Minnesota history, I want you to bookmark the Minnesota Historian at minnesotahistory.org. I'll link to both of these articles. You can find the, 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 the blog there. Josh Biber. Josh, absolutely outstanding work. You are by all means. Anytime you got a new article, let me know. I want to have you back on. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Josh Biber joining us. The Minnesota Historian is the blog piece, uh, blog site, uh, the website. And I'll, like I said, I'll put the pieces out we talked about today. But go look all of his pieces. And once again, this is only in the last year, really, he's done this. It's amazing how much he has been able to uncover. Really good stuff. We'll take a break. Come on back. Wrap up the show when we do return. It is the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950.